HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You've tuned in to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and today we are kicking off our last show of 2014. And who better to join us than our old friend David Haight, the New York State Director of American Farmland Trust. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Erin. It's a pleasure to be back with you again. So I'm excited um, to kind of recap some of the highlights of 2014 and, and talk a little bit about what 2015 holds in store for us as related to farmland and farming in New York State. But I think we have to start with some of the biggest news out this year, which was uh, you know Cuomo announcing yesterday a ban on fracking. And I'm wondering, um, you know, how has AFT been involved in this conversation, and, and what do you think about the announcement? Well, I think it was a, a certainly a long-awaited announcement. Uh, the, the state has been through uh, a multi-year process of evaluating whether uh, allowing fracking is something that that, that would be uh, appropriate for New York, and so uh, you know there was a lot of attention to yesterday uh, to the run-up to earlier this week when the governor announced that that the answer would be no. Um, that that the state would not allow fracking, and so that is a that's a big deal. Um, there was a lot of people in New York that were concerned about the potential impacts of fracking on on the water we drink, um, on the food we produce. Um, there, you know, it was a divisive issue, though. Um, there's you know the divides even in the farm community, uh, with some farmers thinking that it was something that was safe and appropriate for the state, others that felt just the opposite. So it was absolutely a, a big milestone. Um, uh, for 2014. And so for folks who maybe are less familiar, you know, with the kind of pluses and minuses of the fracking conversation, or, or I guess 
maybe that's not quite the right way to put it, but can you can you share with us a little bit, you know, the farmers that you're talking to, the communities that AFT gets to deal with, you know, how were they looking at fracking in a way that might be different than, than we're thinking about it down here in, you know, Brooklyn? Well, Aaron, um, you know, the, the first thing to understand is that New York has uh, somewhere around 13,000 um, active and inactive oil and gas wells already. And uh, for many farmers and rural landowners, um, they see uh, uh, oil or gas that they're able to extract from underneath the ground, if it can be done in a safe way, that that's a really important way that they can help make some money um, and be able to pay for property taxes and other costs of owning a farm. And that's a, just being able to pay for some of those expenses allows them to stay on the land and to keep land in, in farming. And so that is you know, absolutely a, a priority concern uh, for many farmers and many landowners. The flip side is there was a lot of farmers um, that were concerned about the potential impacts of pumping millions of gallons of water and chemicals into the ground and uh, what that might mean for the water supplies that farms depend on, um, as well as uh, the potential uh, for contamination um, and, you know, the potential for contamination of livestock that depend on water. So it, there was a really divided farm community on this issue, um, and it's certainly, but it's decided, and I think that it's a real milestone. And I think the big question is, given all the energy that was generated around fracking, can that be channeled in a positive way to really strengthen the, the local food system here in New York? Yeah, and I think that's a great kind of like segue, in particular thinking about, you know, work with regards to the watershed and talking a little bit, as we often do on the show, about the upstate, downstate connections. And I know you guys have done a lot of work, and maybe you can just share with our listeners some of the stuff that you've been working on as it relates to the water supply here in New York State and why we here in the city are so dependent on the work of uh, the, our friends and, and folks who are farming up further north. Well, I think the, up, the idea of an upstate-downstate design is such an artificial one. I think that there are so many ways that uh, farmers and rural and suburban communities are connected with farmers and, and uh, people living in cities. Um, you know, certainly one example is with food and the food production that goes on on farms uh, across New York. Uh, but I think perhaps one of the most compelling stories um, specific to New York City is that the that New York City residents, you know, almost 9 million people, uh, benefit from some of the cleanest, uh, unfiltered uh, drinking water of any major city um, in, the, in the country. And the way it's clean is that there's been an intentional effort over the last 30 uh, years to protect the, the watersheds, the, the forests and the farms that surround the reservoirs that provide drinking water to New York City residents and to help farmers uh, keep that land as a natural water filter. So the water starts clean, uh, it goes through aqueducts down to New York City residents, and so now um, every time a city resident turns on the tap and they get clean, unfiltered drinking water, Part of that is because of all these efforts of farmers upstate uh, to invest in how they care for the land and keeping that land well managed so that the water stays clean. And it's just a great example of that partnership uh, between people in New York City and communities uh, outside the city. And, and why is it better that that land be 
in farming than say uh, a wildlife preserve or uh, you know a group of houses? I mean, is there something specific that farming kind of brings to the table with regards to the the water conversation? Um, how how do we kind of like think about that as like a priority space or priority use of that land? So that's a, a great question, and it's certainly it's relevant to the New York City watershed, but it's also relevant to a lot of other communities in New York, uh, you know, communities on Long Island, out in the Great Lakes, uh, that well-managed farms uh, provide uh, real water quality benefits uh, when compared to, for example, like subdivisions and, and housing developments. Uh, once you pave over land, um, it causes a lot quicker runoff, um, a care you know, you have a lot of landowners or homeowners that are applying fertilizers and chemicals um, to their properties, um, and that process of developing land uh, dramatically increases the amount of uh, uh, pollutants that get into our water supply. And that's why, you know, more than 30 years ago, um, New York City started investing in helping farmers permanently protect their land for farming. Uh, so that their land would always stay as that natural water filter. Yeah, I think that's like so interesting in a lot of ways that New York City has has really invested and promoted um, long-term um, or, I guess, forever protection of farmland. Well, I want to turn the, turn the you know, wheel over to you a little bit. Um, if you can maybe pull out some highlights for AFT over the course of 2014, we'd love to hear a little bit more about um, some of your proud moments from the past 12 months. Well, I think there's a couple of moments in time that I would point to, Aaron. Um, the first, I, I think one of the big things that happened in 2014 is and is really that young farmers or beginning farmers uh, really took a, a center stage um, in New York in a way that they maybe hadn't gotten that degree of attention in the past. Um, the, the census of agriculture came out not that long ago, and that's kind of the, 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 the heart of farm statistics, uh, showing that in New York about a third of all the farmland in New York is owned by farmers over 65. Uh, so that is a, that is, there's going to be a lot of our farms that are going to change hands in the next 10 or 20 years. And so what we saw this past year was a renewed interest um, uh, at many levels in helping new farmers or beginning farmers uh, get started uh, on farms. Uh, we saw that in um, our state legislature um, actually passed a series of young farmer uh, incentives, uh, so grants and, uh, to buy a farm or uh, buy equipment for farming, uh, specifically for young farmers, as well as some educational loan forgiveness uh, for people that are getting uh, uh, schooling in farming. Uh, in October, uh, the American Farmland Trust, uh, along with 14 uh, partner organizations, also uh, launched a new uh, partnership uh, called the Hudson Valley FarmLink Network. And uh, this partnership, uh, probably the most visible thing we did in October, was launch a new website, uh, Hudson Valley Farmland Finder. Dot org. Uh, and this partnership and this new website are, are making it easier for farmers, beginning farmers in particular, uh, to find a farm uh, in the Hudson Valley. So it helps connect people that, that own land uh, with people that are looking for a farm. 
So in some ways, 2014 was really, a, 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 I think, a really milestone year for beginning farmers uh, and their, improving their ability to, to find a home, uh, to find a farm uh, here in New York. No, that makes a lot of sense. Other things that, you know, so um, historically, how how have, like, young farmers found farmland? I mean, I have to imagine that there's been a, a the bulk of it would probably be, like, generationally passed down, and maybe there's been a shift in kind of actually, like, who's farming or where farmers are coming from that's also necessitated some new strategies around figuring out how to access land and how to get started. Um, have you guys looked much into the kind of like why there's a need for new opportunities or new ways to kind of create these linkages? Yeah, well, there's a, several major reasons. Uh, the first, you know, the one of the biggest challenges that people that want to get started in farming face is it's really expensive. Uh, if you want to buy a farm, uh, if you need to buy farm equipment, if you, you need to buy animals, you need to buy whatever you need to get started in, in, your, in, uh, in farming, uh, you're talking uh, potentially hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to get started. And that's particularly true in places near New York City uh, where there's farms that are under threat of development. And farmers are competing with real estate developers to, to buy a farm. And so one of the most effective uh, tools that has been used in New York um, are purchase of development rights programs. Uh, so these are, are programs um, that generally have public funding behind them, uh, and they pay farmers uh, to extinguish the right to develop uh, a farm. And by extinguishing those rights, um, it pays maybe an older farmer, gives them a retirement fund uh, that they can use to retire on, um, but also makes it a lot more affordable potentially uh, for a beginning farmer or uh, a next-generation farmer uh, to be able to to buy that farm and, and get started in farming. And so the, you know, I think I saw on your website that uh, Laura Tenick was was um, speaking before the New York State Assembly, the Standing, you know, Committee on Ag, talking about the 2014-2015 budget. Can you talk a little bit about how your work through AFT is, is impacted by decisions that the state is making with regards to the annual budget? Yeah, so the American Farmland Trust for the last uh, 30 years has really been working to get uh, states and local governments and the federal government to put a lot more money into uh, protecting farmland. <clears throat> the, probably the most active place uh, historically has been in state capitals and in, in state governments putting money uh, towards this purpose. And so here in New York, uh, 2014 was a real banner year uh, because uh, for the last six years, uh, the state has not put money into funding any, to protecting any new farms. Uh, there had been a backlog of funding commitments from before the, the economic collapse of 2008. Um, and so there have been 70 farms that were promised money to be protected back in 2008. And for the last six years, uh, we've been paying off those old commitments. Uh, in 2014, um, in October, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, announced another $17.5 million 
uh, to protect 21 farms uh, from Long Island out to Buffalo. And those that is that is a big deal <laughs> for New York. Uh, we we need to uh, get back into that type of funding and growing that type of funding. Um, you know, as a point of comparison, um, New York has protected now with state funding uh, almost 250 farms uh, forever. So these are places where people will be able to farm uh, in perpetuity for 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 a long time. Contrast that with Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania now has invested almost a billion dollars in protecting almost 5,000 farms across the state. So what we're seeing in Pennsylvania compared to New York is just uh, dramatically different and a a much deeper commitment to permanently protecting land for farming. And that's what we need to see more of in New York. You know, any sense of like... Why? Why is that? Um, I mean, that that's a big difference. Is it a matter of kind of political will? Is it that folks just don't kind of know or see the difference or think we're doing enough? I mean, I I, I have to think that there's a lot that you can compare with the agriculture histories of Pennsylvania and New York. So why in this space have we become like so differentiated? Do you think? Well, I think you're absolutely right that New York and Pennsylvania are really similar to each other in terms of uh, farming. The amount of land we have in farming is very similar. The types of uh, things people are producing, a lot of of dairy farms, a lot of fruit and vegetable farms, uh, a lot of similarities there between New York and Pennsylvania, um, but really a dramatically different uh, commitment to protecting farmland and investing in that. Um, I think part of this, it is about priorities. And uh, Pennsylvania started doing this about 10 years earlier uh, than New York. Uh, So that's a part of the story. Um, But the other part is they have consistently uh, put significant state dollars into making sure that people would be able to farm in Pennsylvania forever. And they've looked at you know, they've used bond funding. They've used annual funding out of their state budget. They've looked towards the cigarette tax. They have looked towards many different sources of revenue to be able to dedicate towards this purpose. And I think one of the things we need to do here in New York is to look creatively at where there's those new funding streams and how we can build the political alliances uh, where the environmental community, the farm community, uh, the food community can come together behind some shared priorities such as this. Well, David, we're going to take a short station break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about some of those alliances that you mentioned and, and what the year 2015 is going to look like. So hang tight, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> You are listening to Power Moon by Evan Hashi. Hello out there, it's Steve Jenkins, I'm with Fairway Markets, White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro, 
Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind. From healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts, it's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. And we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report, and we are on the line with David Haight, New York State's director at the American Farm Land Trust. So, David, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit before the break about uh, alliances, and um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, institutional procurement. And, and I know that's something that's come up a lot in your work over the last year. And maybe you can share with us um, kind of what's happening in that space. How are things going and, and what do we have to look forward to in 2015? Well, uh, Aaron, one of the things I think that the American Farmland Trust and many of our, our, our partners has recognized is that, uh, you know, that schools, colleges, uh, senior centers, uh, hospitals, that institutions uh, with a shared meal preparation facility, uh, that those institutions feed uh, millions of millions of New Yorkers uh, every year. And so as we're thinking about uh, how we can help scale up uh, the, the local food economy uh, here in New York, uh, institutions are, are, are a key target and a key ally in, in making that happen. Uh, we were involved in helping to launch a partnership uh, last year in 2013 uh, called Farm to Institution New York State, uh, or in acronym speak, uh, Finesse. Um, but this was a partnership of, of people from agriculture, uh, people that are the food producers, uh, people from public health uh, that were working with, with eaters, um, and, and again, in schools or colleges or hospitals, uh, and, and economic development. 
so the the interests that were involved in investing in in food processing and food distribution and food markets uh, and really trying to bring together those three interests uh, to scale up the the farm to institution uh, movement in New York. Uh, so in 2014, uh, we had a couple of really banner uh, things come out of that partnership. Uh, in October, uh, we held the first ever uh, Hudson Valley Farm to Institution uh, Summit uh, at the State University of New York at, at New Paltz. Uh, so in the, the kind of the heart of the Hudson Valley, uh, bringing together um, you know, roughly 150 people from across the region uh, that were really making it happen uh, in, a, in a school setting. Uh, in a college, uh, in even in places like emergency food programs, uh, our soup kitchens and food pantries, uh, all with a, a real interest in uh, buying uh, more uh, food that's grown here in New York. And it was just, it was a really, uh, a lot of passionate people. Uh, some real interesting things came out of that conversation. Like I learned, for example, that uh, New York's prisons, uh, for example, are now buying uh, 37% of the food that they buy for New York, for people that are imprisoned in New York. They're buying it from New York. Um, and we're seeing really significant strides in our, our mental health facilities uh, in New York and buying food grown here. Um, the American Farmland Trust also and our finesse partners uh, launched a, a project focused on colleges, uh, specifically with our State University of New York campuses. Uh, we've got 500,000 eaters uh, on SUNY campuses across New York. And so we launched a, a, a project uh, in 2013 focusing on getting those SUNY campuses uh, to buy more uh, fruits and vegetables from New York. Uh, and uh, whether they be fresh, uh, minimally processed, uh, or frozen. And saw, have already seen some really strong interest in buying more uh, apples, chopped onions, uh, uh, frozen sweet corn on the cob, a lot of new products, new ideas, and, and really a, a lot of excitement uh, for, for scaling this up in New York. That's awesome. That is great to hear. Um, well, one of the other things I know that we're excited about here on the network, um, you know, we do a number of shows looking at the craft beer movement, and we're always a media partner with the, um, you know, Cider Week. And I know that the uh, governor's office has just released um, a number of funds, I think $3 million in total, looking at promoting the craft beer and cider industry and, and tourism. And I think one of those links that people often fail to make is that, Beer and and cider and by extension wine are are all agriculture products. So can you talk a little bit about you know what you're seeing in that space, the beverage world in particular? To me, it feels like there's a lot of kind of exciting activity and and some like bright spots for 2015. But I don't know how that sticks out in the landscape from from where you sit. There is a lot of excitement. Um, uh, virtually everywhere I feel like we go, there's somebody that is now involved maybe in, in brewing beer um, or distilling something or uh, fermenting something. Um, and what that is doing, if they're buying their raw products from New York, is, is creating opportunities for people to produce the, the, raw, the, the ingredients. Uh, so things like hops. 
um, and you know grapes and other products uh, that are involved in distilling. And so there is a lot of enthusiasm there, and uh, we see it. Um, and a, a lot of our uh, farmers, for example, that are uh, in places like the Hudson Valley or the Finger Lakes, uh, where uh, sometimes growing just a, a raw commodity, it, it can be hard to compete um, in the national or the global marketplace. But if you can find a way to, to add some value to that product and maybe bring people to the farm uh, to try it, uh, that that is an area where there's a lot of excitement. So we just see apple orchards adding cideries, uh, you know, really expanding on-farm breweries, and just a, a lot of interest in figuring out how to leverage uh, some of the, the, the interest in people in, in good food and good drink and, and translating that into to new opportunities for people to grow the ingredients involved in it. Yeah, well, that's awesome. What else, David, what else do we have to look forward to in 2015? Um, things that people should kind of keep on their radar from you and the team at AFT. I, I'm sorry, and you broke up there. I couldn't catch the whole thing. Oh, sorry. I just, you know, what else is on the agenda for 2015 that, that we should be excited about or looking forward to? I mean, what's kind of the call to action we can share with our listeners? Well, I think there's a few things that are in that, that call to action. I think first, one thing to look forward to is we're uh, about in 2015 to launch a, a new campaign called No Farms, No Food, Join the New York Movement. And it's a campaign to inspire and enable 50,000 New Yorkers uh, to take personal action to save farms and, and farmland. So look, look for more uh, on that front. I think there's going to be a lot of exciting opportunities for, for New Yorkers to, to take personal action and, um, and helping to save our family farms. I, I think the second thing that we're going to see a lot of opportunities for is to, to really see if we can move things like uh, incentives for beginning farmers uh, into the mainstream. And uh, so continuing to find ways to help make it easier for, uh, for people that are new, wanting to get into agriculture, find ways for them to do that. And I think we're particularly looking towards uh, continuing to scale up funding for our state's farmland protection program. Uh, again, that's the program that buys development rights on farms. And we took an important step forward last year in restarting that program. Uh, we're asking Governor Cuomo and the state legislature to invest $25 million in that program this year uh, so we can move New York down the path towards making it one of the leading states in America uh, in protecting our family farms. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities in the coming weeks and months for, for New Yorkers that care and want to get involved in these types of issues. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, finishing 2014 with us, and we look forward to being in touch lots more in 2015. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. We love everything you guys do down at the Heritage Radio Network, and glad to, glad to be a part of it. So, folks, definitely get involved with uh, the New York State Office of American Farmland Trust. You can find them at newyork.farmland.org. But don't be shy if you're a listener from another state. They have a national office and do work all across the U.S., uh, I just happen to be located in New York, so i got to show my New York pride. 
Um, you can become a member. Um, you can get involved in their action network. Uh, mostly stay, you know, stay in touch. Put your money where your mouth is. Um, just like I want you to do for the Heritage Radio Network. We are in the midst of our end-of-year funding drive. And if you believe in our work, if you like what we do, we need your support. We're counting on it, actually. So visit the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Not only can you find great food content and over 39 weekly shows, but click that Donate tab, become a member. We've got some pretty uh, funky swag this year that we will send your way at a variety of membership levels. Also, uh, if you like what you hear, find us on iTunes or Stitcher. Subscribe, uh, leave a review. All those things help. And um, looking forward to more in 2015. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.